Jeremiah 30, 31, beginning with verse number 31 through verse 40, says this. It says, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah, not like the old covenant I made with, the, with their fathers. On that day when I took them by the hand and to bring them out of the land of Egypt, my covenant that they broke, though I was their husband, declares the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel. After those days, declares the Lord, I will put my law within them, and I will write it on their hearts. And I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me. For the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity, and I will remember their sin no more. Thus says the Lord, who gives the sun its light by day, and he fixes the order of the moon and the stars for, not, for light by night, who stirs up the seas so that waves roar. The Lord of hosts is his name. If this fixed order departs from before me, declares the Lord, then shall the offspring of Israel cease from being a nation before me forever. Thus says the Lord, if the, heavens, if the heavens above can be measured and the foundations of the earth below can be explored, then I will cast off the offsprings of Israel for all that they have done, declares the Lord. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when the city shall be rebuilt for the Lord from the tower of Hemron to the corner gate. And the measuring line shall go from further straight to the hill of Gerim, and shall then turn to Goth, and the whole valley of the dead bodies of the ashes, and all of the fields as far as the brook kindred, to the corner of the horse gate towards the east shall be sacred to the Lord. It shall not be plucked up or overthrown any more forever. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we just thank you so much for this day that you've given us, Lord, and for your word. And Lord, this morning we come so gratefully thankful for all of the... And so the Lord said uh, that in verse in chapter 25, said that, uh, I want you to write this down. I want you to write down in the book all of these messages that I had given to you. And this was in the first or the third or fourth year of the king uh, Jehoiakim. And it was the first year of King Nebuchadnezzar. And for 23 years, Jeremiah had displayed for them the voice and the words of the Lord, telling them and warning them of impending judgment and hopes that they would repent. And God spoke with great passion and great emotion of how he longed for his people to just repent, but yet he knew them, he knew their hearts just as he knows our hearts, and he knew that they would not repent. And he said, I want you to write these things down. So when these things happen, you will know that I promised that they would come, and you would know why those things would happen. And then Nebuchadnezzar does come, and he takes away, he takes away some of the Israelites. 
He takes away their great treasures. He takes away their great wealth. And so they knew the judgment was beginning. But then Jeremiah changes the tune. He changes the tone. And the Lord begins delivering messages of hope and messages of promise, a message of what lies beyond their failures, what lies beyond their sins, what lies beyond the judgment they were facing. And he said in, the, in verse 1 of chapter 30, as he's beginning these messages of hope, he said, I want you to write these things down. I want you to write these messages of hope and restoration and redemption. So when my people realize their error, they can find their way back to me. You think about the story of Hansel and Gretel. Before they wandered off the trail and got into the woods, they had the idea that they would put down breadcrumbs so they could find their way back. And in this scripture, we find that that's what Jesus does for us. That even in our sins, that even in our disobedience, he's doing it for a loving person, a loving purpose. That we would realize our sins, that we would realize our shortcomings and turn around and see the breadcrumbs that lead back to his love and mercy. And so the source of hope that he was going to give them was going to be a new covenant, a new promise. And as he begins this discussion of the new covenant, he wants to make very clear that he is going to establish a new covenant because the old covenant the Israelites had broken. And he said of himself, he said of himself, God, I have been faithful to you. I have done everything I could possibly to do for you, but this covenant is now broken because of your disobedience. And so this covenant wasn't working. And so there's going to be a new covenant. And so why was this covenant not working? Because the old covenant depended upon the Israelites' faithfulness. It depended upon their faithfulness. And they turned out to be the X factor. You think about all the things that God did for the people of Israel. But yet it was the people of Israel who disobeyed. And what this does is it lays bare for us any type of claim that we could make, that we could be righteous before God. We laugh at the Israelites, but we think about us. You think about the things and the deals that we try to make with God. We'll say, God, you know what? If uh, you will save me from my trouble, if you will save me from my current disaster, then I will serve you. What happens? God ends up, God uh, fulfills his end of the bargain. God, uh, God leads us back. God saves us out of our trouble. And what do we do? We turn away. We say, well, God, if you will bless me, if you will help me in my financial situation, if you, you will bless me with possessions, then, then, Lord, I will serve you. And so what happens? The Lord blesses us. But then eventually we turn. We'll say, you know what, God? If you would speak to me in an audible voice, if you would just make yourself known to me in a powerful way, then I will follow you. And God made himself known to the people of Israel in a very powerful way, and they still turn. And we are the same way. 
God could come down here and sit right here among us and speak to us directly. But many of us would turn away. And so we make all these deals. We will say, God, if you will do this, then I will follow you. Just like the covenant that he made with the house of Israel, because we, deep down in our hearts, in our minds, into the depths of our soul, in the flesh that's in our, around us, and even down to the bone, we are sinful and unfaithful. So there needs to be a new covenant. And so what are going to be the marks of this new covenant? What does he say? In verse number 33, it says, For this, for in this covenant that I will make with the house of Israel, after those days, declares the Lord, I will put my law within them, and I will write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And so what he is saying here is what is really going to take for me to be able to maintain a covenant from you from with you is I am going to have to change you from the inside out. Now, Ezekiel said it like this in Ezekiel 36, 26 and 27. He said that I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And goes on to say that I will take out, I will remove, I will rip out that old heart of stone that was inside of you, and I will replace it with a heart of flesh. And then I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and cause you and compel you to obey my rules. So what he is saying, if I'm going to have a covenant with you, I'm going to have to completely change you from the inside out. I'm going to have to regenerate you. You're going to have to be a new creation because the heart that is inside of you is what's keeping you from following in me because that heart inside of you desires evil. It desires fleshly fleshly things. It only thinks of itself. It only thinks about the here and now. So I'm going to take out that old heart of stone And I am going to give you a brand new heart. I'm going to change you from the inside out. And then I am going to put my spirit within you to direct you. And so the new covenant requires that we be changed from the inside out. I can't change. I can't straighten myself out. I can't behave good enough for God. I can't live my life righteously enough for God. I have to be changed. And if we're going to follow a life of God, we can't just be reformed. We can't just change our morality, but we ourselves must be changed. It says not only... Is it going to require a change of heart? But I'm also going to change the way to which I associate with you because I no longer am going to think of you as a group. I'm no longer going to think of you as a collective. But this new covenant that I give for you is going to be personal. It's going to be personal. 
the verse just right above there, verse uh, 29 and 30, tells us about this personality that God is going to give this, the way that he's going to change with us now. Because in the old days, the proverb was that the fathers would eat sour grapes and the children's teeth would stand on edge. And basically what that proverb means is that the children were punished because of the sins of the father. Or think of it another way, is that the people who acted the way that God wanted to were punished alongside because of the deeds and because of the actions of those who were unfaithful. And there's really nothing worse than than us than when we get punished in a group because somebody did something wrong, all of us get the punishment for. And so what he said now is there's coming a day under the new covenant where each person will give an account for what he has done. So it's no longer going to be about your genealogy. It's no longer going to be about your geography. That's no longer going to establish the kingdom of God. That's no longer going to establish who are God's people. But the God's people are going to be defined as the individuals who give their heart and life to Christ Jesus. And he says, not only am I going to deal with you on a personal basis, but I'm going to have a personal relationship with you. Listen to what it says here. It says, uh, <clears throat> I will be your God and you shall be my people. That's who's going to be God's people is those who follow Christ. But listen to this. And no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each his brother saying, Know the Lord, for they shall know me from the least of them to the greatest declares the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity, and I will remember their sins no more. What does it mean by him saying, you know, no longer will a neighbor or a brother say to his neighbor or brother, here, here's how you know the Lord. Does that mean that we could just all figure it out on our own? No. Let's think about what he means here by saying to know the Lord. And what he's really saying here about know the Lord is know how to obey the Lord, to know what the Lord requires of you, what are sins and how are sins to be forgiven, how are you to worship. And you think about how the old covenant was defined. The old covenant took some effort. It took some learning. It took some teaching because, well, what if I sin? Well, what type of sin was it? Was it a sin against somebody else, or was it a sin against God? Was it a sin against one of his commandments? Regardless of which one you do, depends on what sacrifice that you have to make. Well, what sacrifice do I make? Well, it kind of depends on how much money you got. Well, uh, how do I come before the presence of the Lord? Well, it just uh, really depends. If you're coming on this day, here's what you do. But if it's a Sabbath day, here's what you do. There was a lot of complexity as to how you would follow and as how you were to worship and how you were to obey the Lord. And you had to learn. Somebody had to teach you how it was that you would respond to God. But what God says to us is under the new covenant, no one is going to teach you how to follow me. Nobody's going to have to teach you how to worship me because I am going to be within you. And I am going to convict your spirit 
And I am going to speak directly to you. And I am going to show you what I require of you. Are we listening to God's voice in our heart and life? Are we listening and obeying to as he's saying, you know what? What you're doing is wrong. What you're doing is right, but you're doing it with a bad attitude. You need to watch your attitude. Are saying to you, you know what? You need to do this. I'm calling you to this service. I'm calling you to this ministry. I want you to worship me personally. I want you to pray to me. Well, how do I pray? Well, you just open your mouth and you just say what's on your heart. God is inside of us, dealing with us personally, desiring that we would worship him, not in just meaningless repetition in liturgy, but yet that we would worship him in spirit and in truth. We know what the Lord wants for us in our lives, but many of us don't know what, don't want to do it. We hear what the Lord is saying to us about the sin in our hearts and our lives, but you know what? We just don't want to do it. But we know how it is that we are to know the Lord because he's speaking to each and every one of us. Then is this. It says, For I will forgive their iniquity, and I will remember their sins no more. Now, I want you to see this word, for. And what the word for tells us here is that what comes next is what makes the previous possible. What causes this, what we've run before, to be able to come into being? What causes God to be able to change our hearts? What causes the Spirit to be able to lead us? What causes Him to be able to deal with us personally and walk with us intimately? It's this. It's for the Lord. For the Lord will forgive their iniquity and remember their sins no more. Well, how on earth did that happen? How was God able to remove our iniquity? How is God able to not remember our sins no more? Because we know that God is a just God, and He can't just say to us that it's okay that you've done this. We'll just let it slide. No, that is not just. There has to be a reckoning for our sins. There has to be a payment of the price of the debt that comes with our sin. So how is our iniquity able to be washed out? How is our sin able to be forgiven? And it's through the blood and the body of Jesus Christ. It's His sacrifice paying the price for our sin. The thing that we will celebrate this morning in our observance of the Lord's Supper, remembering that He made possible this new covenant by the shedding of His blood. It's not about us. It's not dependent upon us. He created the foolproof covenant because He did away 
We're the fools. We can't mess it up because God has done it all. All we need to do is respond to it in our life. Our sins are forgiven and our iniquities are forgotten by the blood of Jesus Christ. And that makes it possible for God to change our hearts and our lives and for God to dwell within us and his spirit to dwell within us. Now we see another word. We learned about four. Now let's learn about this one. In verse number 35, it says, thus, thus. And what that means is what we heard before, that is his forgiving of our sins because our sins and our iniquities are forgiven. And since they are washed away and forgotten no more, now this can happen. So since this has happened, thus, listen to what he says, says the Lord, he who gives the sun for the light by day and fixes the order of the moon and the stars by night, uh, who stirs up the seas and the waves as they roar, the Lord of hosts is his name. If If this fixed order departs from before me, declares the Lord, Then shall the offspring of Israel cease from being a nation before my name. Because this covenant is secured not by our obedience, but by the precious blood of Jesus Christ and God's faithfulness, we can be assured that this promise and this covenant will stand forever. And as long as the sun comes up in the morning and the stars come up, at night, as long as the moon rotates in its seasons, we know that the Lord who set creation in order and fulfills every day the promise of a new morning, the Lord has established his covenant with us and every day reminds us that his mercies are new every morning. And he goes on to say that if you could measure, if you could measure the heavens above, speaking of what we see above us, and I like going outside at at night, and I like looking outside back here in the the cemetery, uh, cemetery back there in the back portion where you, the whole sky just sort of opens up, and you see uh, all of the stars and you can't count them because they're, they're so numerous. And our scientist tells us that as we see all those millions and billions and trillions of uncountable stars, of how far away they are. And the further we and the more we learn about that universe, about those heavens which surround us, it always seems to get bigger and bigger than we ever thought. And the Lord says, if you could ever measure and if you could ever count those things, then my promises, then my promises would fade away. And so we know that as we look in those stars, that the Lord will never, will never abandon his covenant. The Lord knows that we are unfaithful The Lord knows that our heart is uh, is known to wonder. 
And sometimes the Lord will discipline us. Sometimes the Lord will allow us to stray away. Sometimes the Lord will bring punishment and consequences in our hearts and our lives. But we know that even in the midst of those punishments, that the Lord does it out of love. Because His desire, His desire in those punishments is for us to realize the error of our ways and to return back to Him. And we find in the Scripture, and we find in the bread and the cup that we will take this morning, those crumbs that lead us back to Him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just thank You so much for all the things that You blessed us with. And Lord, we just thank You for all of Your promises. And Lord, I just pray, Lord, that as we focus on Your covenant this morning, that we renew that covenant with You, that we commit our hearts and lives to following You always. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.